This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. In our last podcast, we looked at two of this summer's big opera premieres, George Benjamin's Written on Skin and Jennifer Higdon's Cold Mountain, and specifically what they tell us about the state of contemporary opera. Opinions were varied, and this being opera, impassioned. Today, part two of that discussion with Mark Skorka, president and CEO of Opera America, Corey Ellison, dramaturg at the Glyndebourne Festival in England, and David Gockley, who is entering his 10th and final season as general director of San Francisco Opera. Staging new operas is great, but then there's the ever-elusive second performance, or third. According to an Opera America study, Mark, of the operas that did get performed again, over half of them had just two revivals or fewer. I think that's fabulous. Mm -hmm. The fact that in this limited output, and even though we see such a flowering of American creativity in opera we still have a relatively limited number of new works. If you study the literature in the years of the 1780s, uh, and I spent a lot of time working on this, over a 1,000 operas a year premiered the year of The Marriage of Figaro or Don Giovanni or Così Fan Tutte. And I'm not sure that I will live to see a 1,000 new operas. So the fact that half of the works that are premiered are getting a second production and that some go on to a third production, I think is really quite wonderful. David, Mark Adamo's opera Little Women premiered at Houston Grand Opera in 1998 on your watch. And according to this Opera America study, this has had the most revivals of any new opera, mainly at conservatories. Why has Little Women become such a success? Well, recognizable title, small-scale can be performed by young people uh, with an orchestra of about 18 or 20 members. The scale is right to be done by smaller companies, conservatories, and it is a gorgeous gem of a little piece. Does that mean that more people should be writing smaller scale, maybe for that black box theater? What I encourage uh, composers is to even when they're creating a piece for a larger space, to think of a small orchestration or even a smaller orchestration and ways to make it more portable, to make it performable by different-sized companies. I struggle with the question of scale because the grand operas that we know and love are unique to a 50-, 60-year period in the history of opera. Rossini was writing small-scale operas, of course. Mozart did, Donizetti and Bellini. It's when you get to Verdi, Wagner, and get you know through Puccini and Strauss. And we're talking later Verdi and Wagner, Absolutely. Too. So yeah. from 1850, 1860 mm-hmm. until 1920, it's 60 years, where the scale of opera, the scale of opera houses and European armaments all were getting bigger. It was a kind of national competitiveness of scale that played out on the opera stage. And I refer back to Vikram Seth, who talks about chamber being the natural scale for music. We have big opera houses. We have the War Memorial Opera House with 3,200 seats, and uh, Laura Kaminsky's As One Will Not Fill It. (laughs) And do we 
look at smaller venues for new work? Do we believe that we can't create full-scale new opera that is successful? So I, I, I'm struggling with mm-hmm. the, the scale issue. Corey? Well, I think, you know, uh, obviously those companies who do have the resources, it, it's wonderful if you can commission a, a good old barn-burning grand opera every now and again. I think that uh, most of us see now that uh, a lot of the future in opera in this country does have to do with smaller venues and more modest scale in terms of production and orchestration. But I also would cite, uh, I believe that when David did commission Little Women, it was for the young artists there in Houston. And then, am I right, David, you elected to give it a, a main stage production and thereby sort of bringing it to a wider audience and televising it and and so on. And uh, the rest is history, as they and say. And I'll, I'll be curious to see um, JFK this coming season, David T. Little and uh, Royce Fabric opera premiering in Fort Worth. And here's an instance of wonderful creative artists who've created smaller scale works. But JFK is going to be a full-size, full-blown opera. And... As David's developing the Wilsey Center, as we look at young composers getting their experience with smaller works, can they take the step up to produce a full-scale work in a big space? And that's an exciting question Mm -hmm. for the coming decade because there are so many young composers creating small-scale work and, and getting their chops in the smaller scale. And there are so many more uh, venues now. I think a lot of our our larger opera companies, too, have, you know, Opera Philadelphia and and then uh, dedicated places like Fort Worth that do have a commitment, an ongoing commitment to developing new works, but on a smaller scale. So, Mark, we've just heard you're looking forward to JFK. Corey, do you have something you're particularly looking forward to in the coming season or seasons? Oh, gosh. Opera-wise. <laughs> New opera-wise. Oh, and I feel so guilty. And while well, Corey's thinking, and, and Bel Canto and... Uh, That's the opera based on the book. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Great Scott, Jake Hagee's new piece in Dallas and Becoming Santa Claus, Mark Adama's next work. Mm -hmm. There are a whole lot that I'm looking forward to. Well, you know, I am in the midst right now of about 12 different projects that I'm helping to develop. And I'm afraid if I, you know, if I forget any of them, the composers and librettists are going to be mad at me. But I will say that one that's growing close to fruition that looks absolutely wonderful is Breaking the Waves, which is being developed for Opera Philadelphia by uh, the composer is one of their former composers in residence, Missy Mazzoli, who has written one opera before. And the libretto is the by now very experienced Royce Vavrick. And we've been doing, there's been wonderful work going on on that piece. And, And I'm very much looking forward to that. David, I'm going to give you the last word. What are you looking forward to? And do you see anything of the Verdi's or Puccini's of yesterday in today's composers? Well, I'm looking forward to the next Jake Heggie pieces because he's got a lineup of commissions ahead of him that is very encouraging. He started out, of course, with uh, Dead Man Walking. Great. Yeah, and Dead Man Walking, the people in the street asked me when we're going to revive Dead Man Walking. When are we going to revive Moby Dick? There is the will of the public on some of these bigger pieces uh, to bring them back. We have a Bright Shang piece coming up based on a Chinese subject with a, a nod towards our very big Chinese audience. 
we have uh, the next John Adams piece uh, based on uh, stories of the California gold rush coming up. We are going to revive Florencia and Amazonas. We're going to revive A Quiet Place. Daniel Catan. For the, uh, yeah, Daniel Catan. We're going to revive A Quiet Place for the Bernstein year. So we have a lot of new and recently contemporary works ahead of us. And it's you look back to Houston in 1974, commissioning Thomas Positieri to do the operatic version of The Seagull, the Chekhov play. And it was just about the only piece that was done that year by any opera company. And you, you look now at the multi-leveled creative activity and the revival activity, and there is absolutely no comparison. Golden age is too strong a word, but compared with 1974, this is an immense amount of activity and to be very much to be thankful for. Thank you all for joining us. This was the second of two discussions of new opera with San Francisco Opera General Director David Gockley, Opera America CEO Mark Skorka, and dramaturg Corey Ellison. Brian Weiss is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.